Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name is Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service reviews and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God bless. Overcoming codependency. Uh, Honestly, this may be one of the most confusing seminar topics. Uh, Because if we ask the question, what is codependency, no one can really agree. I mean, is it really even a thing? Uh, When you look in the book where words like that exist, uh, the DSM, uh, codependency isn't in there. Uh, And so because of that, everybody feels like they get to make up uh, their own definition. Uh, And on top of that, when we're talking about codependency, the problem isn't really me anyway. Uh, The problem is the person who is hurting me. The problem is the person who is uh, abusive, who is addicted, who is manipulative. Why are we talking uh, about me? They're the ones destroying their life. And then you may say, I'm not even married. Can I be codependent if I'm not married? We we have to wrestle uh, with all kinds of questions like that. Uh, And so I want to start just by giving some early definition. Uh, to what the way that we're going to approach uh, the subject of codependency. Uh, so the way that we're going to approach the subject uh, is we're going to say codependency uh, is a style of relating. Uh, that means it is an activity uh, rather than a condition. Uh, if When we say it that way, another implication is that codependency is much more about why and how we do things than what we do. And so in that sense, if you're coming saying, I would love for you to give me a list uh, of codependent behaviors, and I will memorize that list, and I will just never do those things again. I I wish I could give you that list. But again, codependency is much more about why and how we do things than what. Uh, So it would be more accurate to say there are codependent tones and motives and patterns uh, than there are behaviors. Now, when we relate codependently, one of the things that we really struggle with is how do we assign responsibility? Who is supposed to be responsible for what? Uh, What is it that I should expect you to do? What is it that you should expect me to do? And when we can't sort our responsibility laundry, uh, then it allows relationships uh, to get messy. And then because we have a hard time assigning responsibility... Uh, we, we don't quite know what reasonable expectations are. And there's times when I take on a lot more than I should, and then I get upset, and I kind of get all upset with you, and you're saying, wait a second, this is the arrangement that we had. And, and how do we assign responsibilities? Uh, and because we're not sure uh, how to assign responsibilities or expectations, then regulating our emotions gets very, very hard. If I don't know what you're responsible for and what's expected of me, then how I keep my emotions in a proportional range uh, becomes very difficult. And in the midst of all of that, some really unhealthy relational patterns uh, begin to emerge. 
Uh, and as we're going to define codependency, uh, it most often, um, but not always, um, is attached to situations where there are life struggles on the scale of addiction, abuse, manipulation uh, that have been a significant part of our history. We're usually physically and emotionally exhausted. Um, and, you know, the reality is, unless we learn to relate differently in the midst of these experiences, uh, this will continue uh, to be how we relate and the type of experience uh, that we have. Uh, so Melody Beatty, she says, codependency is about normal behaviors taken too far. It's about crossing lines. Uh, and so again, it's not about what, but why and how. Blaming ourselves is a survival skill. Well, how does it help us survive? It, it helps us feel like we're in control when life doesn't make sense. And being abused doesn't make sense at all. Uh, controlling and taking care of others, the entire package of codependent behaviors, becomes a survival skill uh, that we, you might insert, wrongly think uh, will keep us safe. Uh, now, Melody Beatty is someone we'll hear from several times because she was one of the original authors to coin the phrase uh, codependency. Uh, she doesn't come from a distinctively Christian background in the way that she thinks, uh, but she offers a lot of quality description of what it is like to relate in a codependent way uh, that I think we'll find helpful. Now, as we're going to go through this subject and we seek to prepare for the journey that's ahead of us, uh, we're going to define maybe three types of codependency. We said nobody owns the word. It's not as if it belongs to somebody and we have to pay homage to how they have defined it. So the way that we're going to do it here uh, is we're going to say there are three types or three origins uh, of codependent relating. Uh, and one of those has to do with relationships involving addiction. Uh, and this is where there is someone who is dear to us that we love uh, and they are abusing pleasure. Uh, and as they abuse pleasure, uh, or at least the escape from any form of pain, uh, that creates some patterns uh, that become problematic. Uh, and usually when addiction is present, uh, it creates dynamics very similar to infidelity. We can tell something is going on in our loved one's life. Whether we're married to them, whether they're a son, daughter, a friend, it, we can tell something's going on. We don't know what it is, who it is, and, and then uh, once we figure it out, then, then we feel betrayed, and after that there's lots of lying and threatening and pleading and silence. Um, our life patterns begin to accommodate this other person or this other substance in their life. And it's those accommodations uh, that create an unhealthy pattern of relating. Uh, and so one type of codependency uh, would be related to addiction. Um, another might be relationships involving abuse. Uh, and if with addiction, our loved one abused pleasure, uh, with addiction uh, or with abuse, our loved one abuses power. And this is where our loved one may say, it's not always that bad. Uh, and we go, well, you know, it's right. I mean, they're not always yelling. They're not always uh, being physical. It, um, but the relation patterns begin to develop just to appease uh, and, and keep them at peace. And all of life gets arranged around how do we not upset uh, the explosive person? Uh, with time, we begin to keep more and more secrets. 
uh, as we keep secrets, our sense of shame increases. Uh, those healthy relationships that we do have seemingly know us uh, less and less. Uh, and so we just feel fake and like we live in two different worlds. Uh, so those are two types of codependency. Uh, a third type of codependency uh, might be relationship marked by the fear of man. Uh, and fear of man is just the biblical term for whenever we value uh, the opinions of others uh, more than God's view or God's values for that moment. Now, the first two types of codependencies that we talked about, relationships marked by addiction or abuse, uh, those much more fit in the category of suffering. Uh, and as we take this journey through nine steps, we'll be using a suffering motif in the way that we do that. Uh, this first, third one has more to do with our values and our beliefs and our responsibilities, those things that belong to us. Uh, and even as we get to the end of this suffering journey, we will begin to turn our attention to where have our values and our beliefs become distorted in such a way uh, that we need to own some of what's going on. Not what caused it, but some of the accommodations and our values and ways of relating uh, that if, we are, if we're going to live differently, we're going to have to make different choices in the midst of this. And so this first step is to prepare for the journey ahead. Uh, and if we are coming to this, doubtless if you're watching on video or you're here in the live audience, that by the time you get to the point that you say something is wrong, something is wrong enough that I'm going to go to a three-hour seminar, uh, I'm going to go to a group, uh, you're exhausted. Uh, and you are personally, emotionally, cognitively, spiritually depleted. Uh, and we need to prepare for the journey that's ahead. Uh, and the first part of preparing is just to assess for safety concerns. And so safety is never a luxury that can wait till later. Uh, the, the expectation of safety is not an exorbitant request. And, and so if there are matters, uh, there's going to be plenty of things that we say, you know, that's important, but let's wait. Let's hold off on that. That is something that let's get ourselves in a better position before we try to make these kinds of decisions. Safety is not one of those things. That uh, if there are safety level concerns, uh, drinking and driving on a regular basis, whether you're in the car, the children are in the car, um, physical abuse, threats of violence, not able to move freely around the home, uh, I would encourage you to turn to Appendix A. Uh, that, is a set, that is a set of resources to help you create a safety plan. Uh, and even if you say, I'm not sure, it is good to have a safety plan in place so that when it is needed, uh, you are ready. Uh, Leslie Vernick, she says at other times, separation may be implemented as a severe consequence for certain sinful behavior. As a Christian counselor, I do not say this lightly. Uh, I would echo her words. Uh, yet at times, uh, this is the only gift of love that convinces a spouse to consider his or her destructive behavior seriously. What kinds of situations uh, warrant this? Uh, in my opinion, uh, they would be things like domestic violence, chronic adultery, uh, drug or alcohol or other dangerous addictions that severely impact the home life. Uh, one of those questions that comes up, what about the children? Children are better off when their parents stay together, except in cases where there are serious problems of addiction or abuse. And so if we're just asking what's in the best interest of the kid, when things are safe, uh, it is better for mom and dad to be in the same home. 
when there begin to be safety level concerns, uh, then that unity of the marriage begins to play second fiddle to the safety uh, of the members of the household. Uh, and I like the way that uh, Leslie Vernick uh, describes this. She says, people who are destructive should lose the privilege of your fellowship. That does not mean you have to turn your back on the person in question. And then this imagery here, to step back while facing forward. Inviting that person to change so that reconciliation may be possible. And so our goal is not to turn our back and say, I'm done with you, you hurt me. But we want to step back far enough that there is a space of safety while facing forward, leaving the opportunity for relationship if somebody will acknowledge what's going on uh, and embrace the help that the situation warrants. Uh, And so part one, and I put it first because it deserves that place of first priority, is to assess, assess for safety level concerns. Another part of preparing, begin self-care. Oftentimes as Christians, uh, we confuse self-care with being selfish. uh, And it's important to be able to differentiate healthy self-care from selfish self-love. And so here we just begin to look at uh, how are your sleep patterns? Uh, Are you so trying to keep everybody else's life in order and manage the chaos that they're creating to such a degree Uh, that you're not getting adequate sleep. Um, Diet and exercise. This is not the time where we try to go to the gym and get in the best shape of our life. Um, But uh, this is the kind of journey uh, that is more marathon than it is race. And if we begin to place ourselves in a sleep dip, and we begin to uh, not give our body proper nutrition, and while we're under this degree of stress, we're not getting any cardiovascular exercise, which is the body's number one way of alleviating that. Um, we are we're making the much uphill battle much steeper. Um, Foot Wilkins, Koskin, and Higgins—they uh, say taking care of yourself is a skill you can't afford to ignore. Your emotional resilience your physical health, social support, uh, perspective on change um, can contribute to this. Uh, First, you will be setting an example. Because again, we're saying the the way we've defined codependency, other people in our life are living in a significantly unhealthy way. Unless we begin to live in a more healthy, balanced way, uh, then they are being more contagious to us than we are being to them. Uh, Second, you need the internal resources to do what is most helpful for your loved one. Typically, people experiencing a shrinking social support network uh, as the problem takes over. We cannot overstate the importance of social support and enjoyment enjoyment independent of the status of the substance abuse you're dealing with. Uh, So we do some basic self-care. Another area of preparing is defining responsibility. Uh, And this may be the most pragmatic skill uh, of overcoming codependency. Uh, And if we're going to talk about this, I think, again, this quote here, uh, the power to influence someone, no matter how great that influence may be, is not the same as responsibility uh, for another person's choices. Our loved one's problems become our problems. Uh, That's the price we pay for love. But our loved one's problems are not our fault. So we can have influence, uh, but not responsibility. 
And so I give you a three-column chart here. And I would like to invite you for this to become the default way that you begin to think about relational challenges. And so column one is my responsibility. What are those matters over which I rightly have jurisdiction? Column two, uh, the other person's responsibilities. What are the things that if they are going to be a mature and functioning adult, which is a reasonable expectation of them, that are theirs that I can't do for them? Column three, uh, this just, you know, God's sovereignty. What are those unpredictable variables that we just can't take into account for? Um, And one of the things that this does, whether we're talking addiction or abuse, um, both addiction and abuse have one pattern of thinking in common that we'll mention several times. They're very all or nothing in their mode of thinking. When we begin to sort our responsibility laundry uh, into these three baskets, we're saying, I'm not thinking all or nothing anymore. Nope. Some of this I have responsibility for. Some of this you have responsibility for. Some of this neither one of us have control over. That just belongs to God. And if you start to ask me to put all the laundry in one basket, I'm just not living that way because it's not accurate. Um, And when we do this, uh, it sets up much more creative problem-solving thinking uh, in the future. Now, one of those habits uh, that many of us will need to get out of uh, is thinking, you know, if I just do my column perfectly, uh, then this other person that I love, then they won't have to do as much. No, we can do our column as well as we can. And we want to. We want to do our column with excellence to love God and bless others, absolutely. But however neatly or excellently or perfectly, if that's possible, we do our column, it is not going to absolve any responsibility for the other person's column. So we start to think well about responsibility. Uh, We remove uh, isolation. Uh, And you may say, who do I talk to? And it's normal to get nervous about that question. Uh, So let me give you some criteria to help you think through who that might be. Uh, Disclose to somebody that you're willing to let it be a part of the whole journey. Uh, Too often what we do, um, if you'll let me describe it this way, is more emotional vomiting. Uh, We just kind of reach that point where we've had it and then we spill on somebody. And it's just whoever happened to be there at the moment when we were on the brink of tears and they asked the wrong question or the right question, however you view that. And and we have no intent of this person being a part of the whole journey. And and so then afterwards, we just see them and it's kind of awkward. Uh, And and so we want to talk to somebody that we're willing to let them be a part of the journey. Uh, Somebody who has your best interest at heart uh, rather than just a pet peeve agenda or personal answer there. I want to talk to somebody who I admire, how they care for others balanced with their own well-being. Because that's what we're trying to learn. How do I care for somebody else well who's going through a hard time, who isn't making great choices, and yet balance my own self-care? So who are the people in my life who do that? Uh, If abuse or addiction is involved, I think it's good to have somebody with a background in those areas uh, that you're talking to just so that you've got somebody who's used to working in those arenas. Uh, Be direct for the type of assistance that you're asking for. If you're not asking for somebody to serve as your counselor, then say, look, I just need you to be my friend. All I'm asking is I want to be less alone with this. I want to know that when I'm on the brink of tears, there's somebody I can call, and all I want you to do is listen. 
Or if you're saying, hey, I, I would like somebody to go through, and the reason we put this material in a packet, and if they say, I don't know what to say, would, would you go through this study with me? Um, and then honor the limitations that the other person may have. Uh, this is where, hopefully, you've begun to hear me say persons, instead of just person. Uh, if you just have one person that you're leaning on, uh, on this kind of journey, uh, chances are they're going to get exhausted before the journey's over. And you care for them well by having more than one person who's on that support network. Uh, if you say, I don't know who that is. Uh, one of the things we'll talk about several times is our G4 groups. Uh, as a setting where you could say, hey, I, people going through similar challenges that we could come together, I would feel less alone. Like I wouldn't feel like I was the only one. Uh, my point in my journey could be an encouragement to them as their point in their journey is an encouragement to me. Uh, that's what we want G4 to be. And a fifth part of preparing for the journey uh, is to enjoy life. Uh, doubtless you've put a whole lot of life on hold. And as a short-term sacrifice, uh, that might be fine. Um, but when it becomes a lifestyle, you're going to dry up and wither. Uh, and so in this stage, what we invite you to do as you go on this journey is to say, what are some of those basic things that I enjoy? Uh, maybe it's a hobby uh, maybe it's a form of reading or exercise or something that, that you've always enjoyed and you just let go. Uh, begin to bring some of those things back as a way to cultivate perseverance uh, and also to stave off bitterness. Uh, when we just give up everything and we're doing all we can for this other person, we've put all of our life on hold, we're not going to last very long before we get bitter about that. Uh, Myers and Wolf, uh, they say ultimately... Uh, they're talking here about that arena of drinking. Whether or not your drinker achieves sobriety, your journey with us will give you the skills and tools to enhance your own quality of life. Hence, the best case scenario, uh, the two of you will achieve peace together. Worst case scenario uh, is that you will have done everything possible to be able to move on uh, and take care of your own life. In either way, your future looks brighter. Uh, Leslie Vernick, uh, similar message in a different language. She says, I always warn my clients uh, that even if their marriage fails uh, and they no longer live with their spouse, they will always have to live with themselves. Therefore, it is crucial uh, to their long-term well-being that they conduct themselves in such a way uh, that they will have no regrets. Uh, and I think those things summarize well uh, the kind of journey that we're looking to embark on. We want to do this in such a way that best case scenario, whatever relationships, be they marriage or not, uh, that is facing significant strain, that we give them every opportunity um, to come to healing and wholeness and thrive. And that if we get to the point where we have done, as far as it depends on us, Romans 12, to live at peace with everyone, and we've done that, um, that we can look back with no regrets and say we gave every opportunity possible. Uh, and preparing in these ways, I think, sets us up for that journey.